Hey, Westside and those listening in, um, this is Gerald again. We're in our Acts series, part two. For the next two months, we're going to be working through Acts. And we started last week with the great, uh, really how Luke introduces Acts and invites us into the early uh, beginnings of the church and this amazing phasing of Jesus' Jesus's time on earth through the book of Luke. And then Jesus being taken up in the first chapter of Acts uh, into heaven. And now he leaves the Holy Spirit, sends the Holy Spirit to work through the apostles to baptize, uh, overwhelm the apostles with power. And this amazing movement of the church is started, this kingdom movement. And we're going to continue in that fashion. Last week, uh, I just showed a picture. If you're just watching this shorter video, if you want the longer version of this, you can come to church show up at church on Sunday, and we'll also post the sermon, which will be about 20, 25 minutes. Uh, this one will be about five to seven, so a condensed version of. Uh, so for us, we talked last week about jumping the shark, and that was this Happy Days reference where Arthur Fonzarelli, 1977 was the year, and uh, the TV show where he jumps the shark. And jumping the shark requires risk, and really it's out of the ordinary. That's what that term has come to mean it is just, it, where did that come from? Why is Arthur Fonzarelli, this biker, suddenly in shorts and a leather jacket and jumping a shark? Uh, it didn't make much sense. So when you hear the term jumping the shark, you think of those things, of things that are a little out of the ordinary or a lot out of the ordinary. And that's really what Acts is talking about. It's moving us down unfamiliar paths, the beginning of the church, this movement where it is all new but it's still the one God leading them through the Holy Spirit uh, down in this amazing new path. So for us as a church, we talked a little bit, what does jumping the shark look like for us? Well, it requires risk, courage, all those things. And we're going to talk about one of the main elements of what it means to be able to jump a shark or to be risky as an organization, as a body of believers. Um, so turn to Acts 6 if you have it. Uh, on your phones or wherever you're watching, open your Bibles to Acts 6, and we're going to go through verses 1 to 7 today. So we're also asking that our church reads through the book of Acts in two months, something we can all do. So there's daily readings, look at Instagram, Facebook, uh, our website to get those daily readings, and we're also asking people to interact with each other. Grab a reading buddy, one or two or three people or a couple or two and connect that way as we walk through it. And this is what you're going to read, kind of the upcoming week at a glance. Day one, you have Peter preaching in the temple, this amazing message powered through the Holy Spirit. And then day two, you're going to read about Ch uh, Peter and John, where they get arrested. Such great preaching. They have amazing movement of the people. People's lives are changing. They're thinking differently about how the world works and how God is at work here in through these people. And they get arrested. And day three, the believers share everything. This, these crazy people get together and go, I think we're called to sell everything and share everything. We'll share our resources. Maybe not sell off all our possessions, but share everything we have with this community. And then day four, you have Ananias, the story of Ananias and Sapphira, who are really, for lying and being corrupt, are struck dead by God, which raises all sorts of questions. Um, and day five is building a team, getting organized, and Stephen then gets arrested after the organization of this group of people. So there's your week at a glance. 
really be open to what God has to say to you each and every day as you work through Acts. In order, in order to weather and grow as a church, you have this rapidly multiplying church. The one thing that needs to be front and center, and it's one of the most common themes in the New Testament, is unity. So we're going to see how that applies to this church, how important unity is to this church. So Acts 6 verse 1. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, so it's connected to uh, chapter 5, but as. And what's happening in chapter 5 is the apostles are meeting opposition through arrests and all these things because people are really upset. Leadership is upset with the people, with the, with the church, with the apostles, with preaching this message. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. That happened. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So it's a growing movement. Why? Because people are finding freedom and lives are being transformed. And they're sharing what they have. There's powerful preaching and teaching. There are healings, like miraculous things are happening. And there is this, this feeling of just, I don't know, what he, like sticking it to the man of, yeah, you people were in power, but look at this movement that's happening that is for all, open to all people, and all of it powered through the Holy Spirit. Now, you have, it seems like there's two groups now. You have the Greek-speaking believers who are Hellenists, and then you have the Hebrew-speaking believers. Both sets were Jewish sets of people, but some lived in uh, outside of Jerusalem, more, more influenced by the Greek world around them, Hellenistic speaking, uh, so they had a little bit of a more blended worldview where you had the people, the Jewish people raised in Jerusalem, which were strictly like Aramaic speaking, uh, and they were very, it was very central, their Jewishness, and that they were from Jerusalem was really important. So you kind of have these two different groups, both Jewish groups, but a little different way of looking at the world, their worldview. And you have the Hellenists complaining about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. Now, how are they going to remedy this situation? And it's fascinating to me, the process that they use. And then, but you also see how the honeymoon's over. With rapid growth comes challenges, and that's just inevitable. It's like flicking on a light. The light brings buds. You know, we have this light, like we open our front door, especially in summer, and that they are just drawn to the light, and it is a swarm of whoosh. And it's almost like that has a play here of people who are, yeah, there's so many good things happening and so much growth, but now you have the challenges that that brings. Unintentional wrongs can also bring conflict, which is a, a theme. You have like, people like, people weren't out to get each other. It was just, you know what? This can be a, a, a real point of conflict, and it's not intentional that I'm out to hurt you. It's like, hey, this is happening. You can see how this can disrupt and really uh, split a movement or a people. So the first thing that they were facing, like in the chapters that you've read or you're going to read, uh, you first you have persecution of the church. You have from outside forces, they're being persecuted uh, just through their arrests and through the imbalance or the disruption of what is happening. And then the second, you kind of have that corruption of Ananias and Sapphira. You have that internal corruption of people making bad choices for selfish reasons. And that really has an influence on everyone around them, the corruption of the church. 
And the third part is, well, if that's not working, it's like there's all these strategies of, uh, of, that Satan will use on us. And the third is like internal conflict, like just this wave of conflict that can happen. And here you have the Hellenists bringing the issue to the Greeks. And it's this, this thought or this understanding that what if we believe the best in the other? That's kind of how you see this playing out here is they weren't coming with a, a hammer. It was, what if we believe the best in the other? And I've had some instances this week where people have really come with a good heart and challenged me on some things. And it's been, I think there's been some great outcomes and will be even greater outcomes through it. But the heart was good for how people approach me. If you come on Sunday or if you listen to a longer sermon, you'll hear more about that. So here in verse 2, so the 12 called a meeting of all the believers. This is how they addressed it. Let's have a meeting. They call everyone together. <laughs> and then they really empower these people. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God. That's our role as leaders, these 12 people. Not running a food program. Not that the food program isn't good. It's great. It's necessary. It's a rich tradition. Or it's, held, it's valued very highly in the Jewish community that we will take care of our people. And so brothers select seven men who are well-respected. They say, you select the seven men who are full of the spirit and wisdom and are respected, and we will give them this responsibility. We'll hand it over to them. And then so we can be freed up to do what we are called to do. So this great way to do it. Everyone liked the idea. So right off the bat, you have this unity. Like with this, they've brought it forward, and they've responded humbly and really, I think, with wisdom. And then look at the seven names. Stephen... Uh, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch. Ooh, I've probably said all those names. Probably butchered a few of them. Um, notice that they're all Greek names. The Greek people, the Greek-speaking Jews were the ones who felt they were being lost or left or falling through the cracks. And it's the seven, the Hellenistic Jews, or the, sorry, the Jewish-speaking uh, the Jerusalem Jews say, okay, seven of you, the Greek-speaking people, get to decide how this should play out. Like the humility and the wisdom that is there, the Jewish people who are kind of in charge has that feel, saying to the Greeks, empowering the Greek-speaking Jews to say, look, you can come forward and you can decide how this plays out. So they make the plan, these, this group of men, they make the plan and Everyone agrees, and you see unity just bubbling up. They're presented to the apostles, and the apostles then lay hands on these seven. And just, you know, I want to end with this. Like, there is this beautiful image of hands being laid on by the spiritual leaders, spiritual leaders, but really it's all spiritual. All work is spiritual. The food program is spirit-led. Uh, the teaching and the preaching is spirit-led. Every act that you do for the kingdom of God, everything is spirit-led. There's no separation of we have the spiritual jobs as leaders, as teachers, and you will run the food program. It's not that. There's this beautiful blend that everyone, everything and everyone is spirit-led that we do as a church. So just some great lessons for us as a church when it comes to unity. And that the message just continues to spread. So may you be blessed. May you get involved in the daily reading plan. Get in, invite a buddy to read this through and get together once a week, maybe every other week. And then Wednesday nights we have Abide Prayer Nights where our unity theme was front and center for us. So I'm going to pray. Lord, you are great. And there is so much 
in Acts, Lord, for us to learn. I pray that we have this wonderful anticipation when it comes to engaging with your word, engaging with your people, and engaging in the world around us, Lord. Bless everyone who hears this message, your message, Lord. In your name we pray these things. Amen. Go with God. Have a great weekend.